Meditation is factors, uh, attention and intention. I mean, these are not just meditation, these are aspects of how our mind organizes things, how our mind steers us, how our mind orients. Uh, attention is the ability uh, that, form, that forms a focus, to form a focus, and so the mind requests a focus, focus through the eyes. Focus through the ears, focus through taste, uh, uh, smell, and so forth, of which and touch, which the predominant uh, ones we we flex are the visual focus, which is extremely active and often flickering, uh, and uh, uh, auditory focus, which is less flexible, tactile focus, which is not used very much at all. So uh, often we consider focusing on anything, we adopt the modality of the eyes because that's the predominant experience we have of how to focus with the eyes. If you look how your eyes focus, you recognize that in the visual field, all you can sustain focus of is about 5 to 10% rest of it's a blur and you get the whole picture by the eyes darting and flickering and remembering and actually if you hold your focus steady you notice that most of the visual field is blurred focus is a very small part of that uh, visual field that's the visual focus tactile focus is somewhat different mm. Because it operates through pressure, it op- picks up warmth, it's, it's vibrant, it's much more uh, responsive because you're actually, whatever you're touching is touching you. Visual focus is always something at a distance. I notice the tactile focus, how you handle something, how you pick up something, how you roll it in your hand. Well, your intention is to lift it or stroke it or throw it away or what you're going to do with it. Uh, so another factor comes in called intention. Intention is that which has a certain motivation, choosing a certain motivation. And our attention is naturally steered by intention. We focus, we have a certain motivation. And uh, these could be functional, like to lift something, carry something, touch something, taste something agreeable. Repel, get rid of, dismiss something disagreeable. Mm. Visual sense, the focus is so I can get to know what's going on. I can see more clearly, which only works to a very limited degree, partly because your visual field focus is rather small. Also, what's going on is not just what you see. In fact, that is only a tiny percent of what's going on, as you all know. Uh, So how do we focus with our minds? I would suggest the visual focus model is is radically flawed because it always uh, is abstract, it's a distance, it's non-responsive 
Uh, it's not actually getting what we're with, it's seeing it at a distance. Uh, and it misses a huge amount. What it misses is the feeling quality. Our visual focus doesn't feel anything. Tactile focus always feels something. Radical difference. Why, what do you, when you're meditating, what do you think is uh, important? Visual focus will give you clarity mm-hmm. to a degree. But remember, it's only a percentage. Only, you can only be clear percentage point. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of that's what you get with that kind of focus. If your focus, your intentionality is more to just to get in touch with something, to feel it, to know how to relate to it, to know how to calm, uh, open, firm, stabilize, then you have to use uh, a different focusing system. It's a focusing system which is more akin to touch. This is automatically much more tentative because what you touch touches you. Therefore it has to be quite a little more cautious and a little more negotiated, doesn't it? How is that? So that kind of focus I would recommend. That kind of attention I would recommend. May not be so clear. May not be instantaneous. May not be something you could even exactly systematize because what you're touching you don't quite know yet. We're coming into experience of body, embodiment, breathing. No one has ever seen a breath. Mm. But everybody has felt it. Something happens. Something tells you you're breathing. Something tells the body it's happened anyway. Something tells it that's enough breathing in, start breathing out, otherwise we'd explode. (laughs) Something tells it. Hmm? But it can be the case that one's attention has become so abstracted that one barely feels it because the attention has become so taken over by the visual focus and all that pertains to that abstraction, time, place, duty, job, goal, achievement, uh, opinions about myself, opinions about others, opinions about systems, structures, the right way, the wrong way, uh, the way it's going to work, uh, what other people, all ideas. Yeah. We've become so, our attention can be so hypnotized and formed in that way that it barely knows how to feel anything 
apart from the pressure of trying to get it right. Now, hopefully this is not the case for you, but I would suggest that for most of us it it is a factor. Because we live in a profoundly abstracted and systematic experience called society, nation, law, order, right, wrong. Those are abstract and they're often punitive. And comparative, praise, blame, success, failure, in-group, out-group, included, excluded, Mm. quite punitive. Mm. And judgmental. Mm. And, uh, you know, the nature of of jitta, of mind, is is environmental. What I mean, it can be literally environmental, you know, I feel quite attuned to trees and often a state of some distress over the abuse of this living planet. But what I mean environment in a broad sense, it's not, it's always aware of a whole field of effects. Mm. It's not personal. It's not contained within me. It, It senses forces around pressures, attitudes around society, other human beings, uh, space, darkness, light, warmth, uh, friendliness. It's environmental, both at this time, it's also environmentally extends, it's not locked into this time even, so we're still living in the environment of our own history, it's still there. So it's a multi-dimensional environment, psychological environment, karmic environment, social environment, family environment, mm-hmm. natural environment. Mm-hmm. And it's all being adjusted and moderated and affected by that. Is this the case? Is it not the case? Take the mind so personally well, if it was personal, you'd make it probably make it better, wouldn't you? <laughs> or another way. But it's not personal. Person arises as one factor within mind, one form that arises within mind, one set of familiar standards and strategies within the mind. Person arises one set of conditions familiarized within the mind. Mind is a field, mind is a sphere, mind is a domain. Mm. And it picks up and it's shaped by environmental facts, shaped by karma, shaped by history, shaped by nature, shaped by society, shaped by pleasure and pain, Mm. shaped by intention, pressure, urge shaped in that way. Our, our attention then rises out of a mind that is already shaped in a certain way. And one of the prior, you know, primary conditioning factors is 
you know, the inclination towards the agreeable. And then the shaping factors of that is if you behave yourself, you'll get the agreeable freedom from blame. If you get to do the right job, you'll get the agreeable experience of success. If you meet the right person, you'll get the agreeable experience of love. And so there's that pressure on, isn't there, to, to have that happen. Mm. And, yeah, mm. <laughs> it's a mixed result. So attention is already pressured uh, by these intentions and in our domain, operating in terms of our history, our karma, our society, our body, and so forth. So attention is secondary. Intention is primary. And our intention is, is always towards freedom from stress and pain. When the Buddha taught the first the noble truths, he was right on the mark, as thought everybody would uh, light up about end of stress, suffering. And that's what jitta looks for. And it's confusion, it's looking perhaps in the wrong way, uh, in the wrong areas, with the wrong kind of attention. Narrow pinpoint attention. If I get this and that and this and that and this and that, add them up, I'll have the right result. (laughs) So you get a series of points, you know, right job, right wages, right house, right country, right partner, that'll be it. Uh Uh-uh, oh. Something amiss, right? It must be right diet, oh, get that. Uh, exercise regime, yeah, right, and they got that one, and then right meditation, get, uh, wait a minute, right meditation, uh, wait a minute, right meditation, <laughs> uh, hey, hey, it's not working, right, right meditation. <laughs> this system doesn't work, get another one. Because it's suddenly meditation is the time, hey, you know, the wake-up call, doesn't work, doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, the wrong, it doesn't work. You'll get some results, certainly. There's this massive intentionality in that, you know. It's something deep, massive, intentionality and effort. But still, it's like rowing a boat on dry land. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's great. But applaud the effort, applaud the resolution. <laughs> the energy is fantastic, but you know, it's not sitting in the water yet. And maybe so. Again, for many people, it comes to this this kind of crunch point when you really look. I'm knocking myself out with effort. <laughs> and <laughs> And all I'm getting is the feeling of not doing it right. I, I've pushed on the throttle so many times that the, you know, I'm through the board, floorboards. <laughs> uh, <how>, what? <laughs> uh, so we backtrack and then I'm saying, well, actually, if you really uh, begin to appreciate and bear witness in yourself, and really look in some of these teachings, 
you won't see attention being made that much of. You will see quality called careful attention or systematic attention, which is a certain negotiating, explore it, like how is that? What's that? What's the meaning of that? How does that happen? You won't find this riveted pinpoint, hold it down, concentrate attention. You won't see that. So then these words, effort, energy, attention and concentration become, you know, after a while they become words, uh, you know, really quite traumatic <laughs> experiences. <laughs> because we take a word like concentration and you get the pinpoint attention and this means like hold that pinpoint totally rigid until everything stops and that means you'll be concentrated and I, I think some people probably can do that uh, but maybe they're so but then if you really uh, review some of these sutta teachings you know Mm, it's not there. There were samadhi is there, and you can translate it as concentration. That's there, but recognize all translations are a little bit suspect. Um, you'll see mindfulness there, whatever that means. And you'll see knowing, awareness there. And you'll see something like systematic exploration and, and assessing, you'll see that there. But it's much more dynamic What's happening is when it's actually touching something. And how is that? Like you would with your hand. How is that? Is that sharp? Is that plastic? How is that rough, smooth? How heavy is that? What's that about? That's not a, that's not a pinpoint. That has to be sensitive and flexible. You'll see that. And you should practice that. Absolutely. Because when you're operating through a focus that's based on on the tactile model, that's the way it works, isn't it? I mean, you, surely you'd be out of your mind just to grab hold of any old thing firmly at first go. You'd pick it up and have a look at it and then touch it and then yeah, it feels okay. And certainly when you responding to a, a rather sensitive organic system, this body breathing, you know, a little bit of respect is due there. It's, it's like you look at a wild animal here. And uh, how's that? How do you come, how do you meet that? Now what is therefore of paramount importance is the quality of intention. Intention covers everything. Attention can't cover anything. Attention means there's always something out of focus. To focus means we have to, uh, you know, not notice other things. Otherwise there's no focus. So let's just drop focus altogether from while world will go on, presumably. And just cultivate the quality of, of intention. Yeah. And start to resonate with that. My intention is harmless, uh, seeking truth. Um, My intention kindly, warm.
patient, receptive, am I interested? If I'm not interested, it's not going to happen. How do I get interested in, in meditation? Really interested at like an organic level, at a kind of fundamental feeling level. If I get the sense, hey, there's a possibility for release, for freedom, for happiness, for yeah, groundedness here, then yeah, I'm up for that. But if you expect me to jump through hoops to you know, get a red ribbon at the end of the day, I'm tired of that. This is where, you know, of course, we, we have these qualities of chetana, is the word for intention. And one of the most highlighted intentions that's given a lot of and, and appropriate um, airtime is the qualities of goodwill. Or metta. These are chetanas. It's called, you look in the Pali, it says chetasa with an intention, with a chitta. A chitta and chetana are pretty much, obviously, go together, don't they? So chitta has chetana. That's its unifying factor. Just as the unifying factor of the body, of a felt body, is its vitality. Right? You say whatever it is, whether it's slow or fast, hurting or not hurting, uh, essentially it has vitality in it, it has energy, it's an energy system. If it's not an energy system, it's called dead. (laughs) It doesn't count anymore. So the living direct body always has a certain vitality, vibrancy in it, however that is. That's its unifying factor. Unifying factor of jitta is it has intentionality. That's its field, that's its domain. That's its quality. It intends. It means it's able to respond. It inclines. It lifts. It retracts. It withdraws. It panics. It runs away. It lunges. Intention, skillful and unskillful, uh, um, spasmodic, sustained. That's his, that's the quality. That's the creature. That's chitta. So we want to really unify that that field of chitta with its qualities. So where does it start? Anukampa means you strike the resonance. This is an animate experience. She's animate. I am animate. means there is a feeling there. There's a response there. There's a sensitivity there. There's a fear of pain there. There's an enjoyment of pleasure there. There's a searching for harmony there. There's a wish to be friendly, be welcomed there. That's an animate system for human beings. Pretty much the same for animals other creatures that's the nerve you strike that hit that touch that what happens if you listen to that heart opens heart opens its intention 
intention of goodwill come is the natural quality of the heart when it opens in that sense. Now it's quite possible to have, you know, intentionality which is uh, dysfunctional and diseased. And this is intentionality when it's just uh, when it's not that sympathy. Yeah. When it's just get it done. When it's just you know, then your intentionality is really based upon um, functional uh, carrying things out. And there's a hovering sense of have to do this, have to get it done, or something of that nature. And then this becomes the residue of that is, is burden. Because there's, there's a burden quality, there's residues with that. Mm. So when we are uh, uh, certainly, even uh, when one is planning and organizing things, such as retreats. I think it's so important to remember this is about her and them and this being and that being. This is not, you know, 50 numbers in a system. Yeah. And then, then truly, quality of metta, you don't have to conjure it up, it just happens once one recognizes and recognizes oneself also as not a system, not a structure, not a function, not a role, not a carbon cutout, but also as enjoying pleasure, not enjoying pain, wishing to be welcome, not wishing to be rejected. Then, uh, then we're in, then we have a a community, mm. and that's powerful. Notice the tendency that occurs to us because of the sense fields, particularly the visual visual contact, to see each other as objects. That's what visual consciousness does. And that's, of course, what the organizing principles of our social structure do. We're objects. We're objects with nationalities, passports, visas. We're objects with statistics and numbers and demographics and wages and and all kinds of objects. And we see each other, it's so easy to see each other as objects. What do you see? A fraction of a being. Of an alternate fraction that is what do you see you know <laughs> and notice particularly when you get you know uh, things such as uh, manager or role cook or you know, then the the object becomes really, really dead, <laughs> you know, inanimate, and, and you know, of course, in our social structures, we organise that way. He's the this, and she's the that. This is the go-to person for this and that, and this is the person who's doing this. What do you what what do you, what do you see? You know, <laughs> and what do you feel?
What do you feel with that? You don't feel the being, you feel it's his job to do that. He's not doing it good the way I want it to be done. Right? She's late, she should have switched that on. Huh? <laughs> that's what you see. And then that's, that's the way one's mind starts to work. Is that the intention of goodwill at work? Or is that the intention of sympathy and goodwill at work? No, it's not, is it? It may be an intention you don't even really... It has no particular emotional, emotive quality to it. Hmm? Well, this is called closet ill will. doesn't mean you deliberately hate them it means you don't really you don't really want to see them actually yeah you know uh, we just want them to do something or be something and and then we does it to ourselves of course that's the way it works once one has got into this process then we see ourselves as objects according to standards and comparisons and we have a, like an accounting system of didn't do that right, didn't do that right, that wasn't so bad, nobody noticed that, didn't do that right, could do better, could do better, correct red line. <laughs> <laughs> delete, delete. <laughs> you know, that's what you see. And then you see that it's kind of striving that I could possibly get a few gold stars in there somewhere. So you know all this. These are these are the kind of ways the intention, without anybody wishing it to be that way. Certainly not, not consciously wishing it gets can get formed in that way, uh, because of the sense consciousness, because of the dominance of visual consciousness, because of the dominance of the conceiving consciousness, which works out numbers and plans and names and functions and roles and duties and labels because of the dominance of that, then one's intention gets captured and closed and shut down into just the kind of urge to do and make things tidy and right. We don't realize the damage we can do like that, the insensitivity. A lack of finesse and respect. We do it, of course, for ourselves. Make my mind nice and tidy and operating in smooth, clear ways, like it's supposed to. Let me do it to, to this, perhaps more intensely than to anyone else. So this, uh, yeah, this is dukkha, and, and there's enough around to learn from. There's enough dukkha around to learn from. This is the dukkha we don't need. 
Mm. It will hamper our true penetration of the dukkha that's kind of inevitable. Separation, suffering, pain, sickness, death, Mm. and so on. This is where these uh, qualities, uh, uh, heart qualities, the chetana, that is imbued with goodwill. Getting the heart to open, asking the heart to open. Uh, And you can really, you realize there's a very simple system for that, which is just recognize something here in your own body or in the presence of another acknowledge it as a living sensitive being and ukampa resonate with that it may be an ugly being it may be a spiteful being maybe a grumpy being it may be a sick being but it's a being then how do you respond to then you know if you see it if you feel it in that way if you relate to in that way, your heart will open to some degree. It may open with compassion for the, you know, the sickly or the damaged. It may open with appreciation of at least it's this good. <laughs> you know, at least I can breathe. <laughs> at least it's alive, you know. At least I'm kind of waking up to that degree. Uh, at least I haven't, you know, I haven't damaged, I haven't, I've kept a precept today. You can open up with that gladness of, oh, thank goodness, you know, the mask of delusion has slipped off to that degree. It's great gain for me. Some beings are still completely enshrouded in that. How sorrowful. At least this. So these are faculties that become available and they will grow. Once you've started coming alive and the chitta knows it can come alive and it's encouraged to come alive, it's going to keep growing and growing into that. I would suggest that these qualities such as metta are much less to do with systems and techniques, more to do with authenticity of the problematic and poignant nature of existence, an opening to that. Beings have wounded and harmed me. They didn't want suffering. They thought this would stop them suffering. They were deluded. How sorrowful. They thought that by putting me into place they would feel safe and comfortable. But they didn't. And they created all that bad karma for themselves. People thought that taking revenge would make them feel happy. It didn't. They've soiled themselves, ruined their lives through that. 
This is a source of compassion. And so on. Yeah. Because in this blindness, the chitta, blinded, deluded, feels if it could only take over the whole world and make it subject to my demands, I would be happy, comfortable, free from conflict. Everybody would just be exactly the way I want them to be. Get rid of all the things I don't like. I'll be good. Fine. This is the deluded delusion of chitta. And you can see it sounds outrageous. You look around the world, you say, oh, it's happening. <laughs> you know, the bombs, the wars, the takeovers, the monopolies, the manipulations. What are they trying to do? Take over, take over, take over. Then I'll be safe, comfortable, happy, wealthy, rich, comfortable, so on. It's happening. Human beings do this because of the deludedness of chitta. Let me not do that to one degree. Let me not even ask one other person to be something that I just want them to be so it'll make me feel more comfortable. Let me instead respect and live harmoniously with others. This is the way one can reflect and aspire. And of course, it's not so easy. This domination trait in jitta is pretty deeply embedded in its delusion. Everybody, we all have our little boss uh, who takes over. My room is my way, I like it, and so on. This is, I make my choices, so things will be the way I like him to be. And that's, yeah, it's okay. Doesn't get out of control, it's kind of okay. Mm, kind of. <laughs> but sooner or later you're going to start bossing people around. Mm. I remember I to a friend, a uh, person I know in, in Thailand, she has this little dog, and the dog is living in a house in, in Bangkok, and this dog lives in the house, and she doesn't want the dog to go out of the house because the streets, cars, traffic, dog, dog's going to get lost, mangled, marmalized, something like that. True enough. Keeps the dog in the house. Dog is crazy. <laughs> it just runs around this room because it's gone nowhere else. Well, dogs don't live in houses, you know. Dogs want to run outside. That's, that's, that's called being a dog. <laughs> but she shouldn't have had the dog, really. You have the dog as a little cute thing in your house. If it's a dog, <laughs> it's not a little cute thing <laughs> in a house. It's a dog. Dogs run around outside, <laughs> yap and fight and do things like that. <laughs> but people want even that degree, you see, it's, it's sometimes he feeds the dog, looks after it very well in accordance with, uh, you know, what one understand, but doesn't know what a dog is. <laughs> so we get that kind of, this is the, the boss takes over for the welfare of the dog, gives it pruned, groomed, shampooed, gives it candies and stuff. Seemingly very, very affectionate and kind to it, and I'm sure absolutely kind towards but it's not the dog, it's the pet. 
And, you know, do we do that to other people? Do we do it? Do we do it to ourselves? And this thing takes over, you know, and certainly living in monastic communities, it's great practice, because on paper it looks like everybody's really here with one thing in mind, absolutely one thing in mind. Nobody's deviating from that one thing in mind. Really, we're all there, we're all signed up for this, we're all in the same clothes. We're turning up on time. Everybody's just one mind going forward, absolutely, totally together. <laughs> well, as you can tell, <laughs> there's quite a bit of waking up to do around that one. <laughs> Particularly, you're supposed to be the person in charge of it all, and you get so angry and so fed up with all these people not behaving <laughs> the way they should <laughs> and having awkward times and collapsing and going what, having weird breakdowns and going funny and sleeping in and missing it and getting in this and the other. You know, either, look, either I'm going to practice it or will, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> like, you know, if I'm going to practice goodwill or I'm going to go nuts. You know, he's just, okay, well, I refuse to allow this force of bossiness, uh, tyrannical, critical, comparative, blaming, judgmental. I refuse to allow that to take over my mind. This is the one piece that I can have some say over. I cannot have say over you. <laughs> well, you just cannot get that, get that, get that plenty of times. Because, of course, you know, people want you to have control over somebody else who's bothering them, <laughs> as long as you don't have the control over me. Just sort this guy out and I'll be happy. <laughs> but leave me alone. <laughs> Isn't it true? <laughs> so, you know, you say, okay, well, where do you start? And start, well, slowly, slowly, slowly. I don't think this practice of metta is just such an easy thing, really. If you, uh, to me, it's just, yeah, I, uh, you know, I say that I'm not a violent, <laughs> I don't act in violent ways. I sometimes feel violent urges, but I don't, I don't act in violent, no. uh, kindly. And yet, you know, and yet, I don't give. Just coming to the place when one feels so overburdened with it all. Tired of it all. Tired of keeping it going and coming up with stuff. Yeah, that's where the goodwill is required. When it's not, it's just this steady suffusion of warm sympathy into the base of experience base of the mind it's this sense of something that's not an idea it's actually an energy warming loving comforting sharing mm-hmm. dripping that in through tissues 
of existence, of one's mental existence, one's psychological existence. Mm. Oh yeah, you know, in some ways it's pretty, it's relatively easy to be kind to a bird with a broken wing. Mm. It's not too difficult. And so we can jump to those kinds of places of metta, but really working in this deep tissue level at, you know, one sense of welcome to be here without having to do something about it. What I call ground is you're welcome to be, you don't have to prove, you don't have to deserve it, you don't have to win it. Welcome to be here. What's welcome to be here? As you are now. As you are now is welcome to be here. and see what happens from there. Something settles, softens, opens, change. Some energy arises. Because we've touched ground. When you touch ground, ground is the given, not deserved, not won, not acquired, it's the given. When you touch ground, ground of heart, some heart opens, something rises, intentionality arises, kindness, goodwill arises, warm, loving energy arises, because you've touched, touched the ground, ground of the heart. It's not like, you know, whatever state I'm in is exactly fine and that's what I'm going to act upon. No, not saying that. It's not a basis for action, but it's a basis for reality. Touch into that. And that has to be made welcome in the heart so the heart can open. If the heart can open, only good can come from that. It may not be according to your plan or your strategy, but only good can come from that. The open heart. Mm. Let it come naturally its own time and place and its own area. Whether it's bodily or a relationship with another person, whether it's to do with forgiving something, whether it's to do with abandoning a regret, loosening up, dismissing or coming out of guilt, whatever it is. So it may, it's like a fluid that just starts to seep through these fields, these environmental fields, the field of our karma, the field of our history, the field of our body, the field of our energy states or whatever. And it just starts to move in there. And it, begins to release through goodwill that which can be released. It meets suffering, 
stress, pain, disease, it becomes the quality of compassion, which is the willingness to enter and be touched by the the disagreeable, the dismal, the impotent, the failed, compassion. It meets the beautiful, comes appreciation, lingering, savoring the beautiful, the released, the joyful, the clear. When it widens to include all, it becomes the equanimous, even. There is the unresolved, there's the resolved, there's the hurt, there's the healed, there's the blessed, there's the confused. Don't leave any of it out. These are very powerful uh, inclinations of citta. They're not to be underestimated in their power or in the kind of priority to facilitate their arising such that such a profound perhaps even such a rare occurrence the Buddha says if you cultivated the quality of goodwill for as long as it takes to pull a cow's udder just that amount you have already paid off the debts of a lifetime One who cultivates the mind of goodwill is one who enters jhana. Interesting statement. Because this intentionality is suffusive, enjoyable, and this is the quality that jhana has. It absorbs, drinks in, suffuses. And this is the quality of metta. Mm. Mm. the Buddha says this quality must be engendered in you must be encouraged must be set going must be fully accomplished this liberation of the jitta through goodwill Anyway.